And I guess also we should probably look at that Milton Keynes-Dons game. I forgot about that, Ed. How are you, you doing? Did, yeah, I was thinking that just as you said it. Yeah, I, I too have tried to wipe that one from my memory. Uh, yeah, it, it was all a bit unfortunate, although I don't think the sort of mass panic response that resulted from that performance was particularly appropriate. Fergie had the odd complete and utter rick against small sides, didn't he? Yeah, quite a few, actually, in the in the League Cup. Yeah, um, I mean, look, it was a, a team of kids and fringe players, obviously, had never played together before and, and it was a bit all over the place, especially with the new and sophisticated system that Van Gaal's trying to move into place. So, you know, I think uh, some of the headlines are pretty lurid because uh, MK Dons 4, Manchester United nil looks good, doesn't it? And it allows for writers to talk about the skies falling in and all that kind of stuff. But in reality, that has very little bearing on the rest of this season. Just in the, the narrative of the early part of the season it, it's uh, it, it fits into that kind of crisis time mode doesn't it yeah absolutely I don't think the kids particularly disgraced themselves actually in that game I think generally speaking the uh, blame lay with the more senior players uh, none of whom covered themselves with glory I suppose De Gea didn't do much wrong all the goals were basically gifted to strikers getting uh, a chance one-on-one against him but Johnny Evans, my good Lord, what a terrible performance that was. It was right up there with the worst performances he's ever had for United, I'm sure. Uh, look, he hasn't played a proper game for a long time. I mean, he had some time in pre-season, didn't he? But he's been out injured for the beginning of the actual real campaign. So he hadn't played a competitive game in six months or so. Um, well, uh, four months. Uh, and he looked pretty rusty. Seemed to carry on into the Burnley game too, unfortunately. So... Well, a couple to write off there for Evans, I think. But you're right, the rest of the senior players didn't perform either, and that was that was the real problem. The kids, well, no one actually took their chance, though, I'd say. No one really stood out and uh, made us think that they uh, they need a, need to be getting a chance this season. Michael Keane didn't have a particularly good game either. For my, he's composed, you know, I thought before the game he'd do all right in the sort of left side of a back three. He played there against Liverpool Reserves not that long ago. Um, he can do it. It wouldn't be his preferred position, I'm sure. Uh, he didn't cover himself in glory either. Uh, and few of the others did either. Uh, the one exception to that for me was James Wilson, I think, looked very lively indeed when he came on. And he didn't really get much of a chance to take, but he made a real difference. And, and Wilson's performance should have thoroughly embarrassed Javier Hernandez, I thought, um, given that they play in a sort of vaguely similar style. And Wilson was kind of all energy and movement and Hernandez was just, I mean, you know, this is a player who started the Champions League final and now can't get up for it against Milton Keynes Dons, you know, not not so much get up for it, but perform at that level. It was, it's really worrying and, and whoever does take him off our hands, if we can find a buyer, is going to have a job on their hands piecing him back together because he looks broken. Well, I guess so. I mean, I think some of it is that his mind is elsewhere. He's thinking about the next move. Uh, I'm sure if he gets some game time that the confidence will come back. But I mean, there was a story that went round about how he considered quitting the game when he wasn't getting in the Guadalajara side when he was 21. Uh, and that uh, maybe his mentality is is that it's pretty fragile and and uh, he needs some confidence and the confidence will come with a regular run in the in a team but it's not going to be Manchester United so I think he knows and the club knows that for all parties it's probably better if he moves on which in a way is a shame because United won't have another player of his ilk and S. Wilson's progress is rapid this season which which he could be you know he's he's got the talent and the pace to cause problems at Premier League level it's just a, a lot to ask 
to throw him in and expect him to become what third or fourth striker uh, this season in what is a transitional campaign. Yeah, uh, Danny Welbeck and another senior player who played in that game uh, looked like he was going to absolutely run the show for the first about four minutes and then was extremely isolated and not great either. And it'll be fascinating to see if he's off. He played again in the last part of the game against Burnley. And actually in that game, you saw why I keep banging on about why Welbeck needs to play with one of Rooney or Van Persie and not not the two of them together. But we'll come on to that. Milton Keynes Dons were, you know, they they did their job really well. They they were clinical on the, in taking those chances that were kind of presented in their laps, and uh, a big day for those players because, of course, that that club is a you know a, a d- disgrace to the national game, but the the players not so much. So. Nice for them, I guess. Yeah, we support our local side, saying uh, nearly 30,000 MK Dons fans with uh, absolutely no irony whatsoever. None of them turned out for the next uh, Milton Keynes Dons game uh, at the weekend, though, 7,000 there. Yeah, what a surprise. Yeah, I think, you know, as a as a non-local Manchester United fan, I suppose I shouldn't make fun of teams for singing, we support our local team, but... No, you don't. That's the first time your stadium's ever been full, ever. Literally, this is not a banter. They literally, that's the first time they've ever sold out the ground. And they have the temerity to sing We Support Our Local Team. People uh, who were in the United end saying it was just the strangest atmosphere because they went 4-0 up, sort of cheered the goal and then completely silent again. Well, it's a club club without history who, who tried to steal one and then very reluctantly gave it back and still won't get rid of the Don's moniker either, which they should do. It's uh, ridiculous. They have nothing to do with Wimbledon and I think retaining that is just an insult to Wimbledon fans. But uh, unfortunately, Pete Winkleman, the chairman there at NK Don's, his ego is too big uh, or his pride too big to uh, to do that, which is a real shame. You know, it's a, it's a plastic club and they won't really go anywhere. They're destined for mediocrity for the entire history of that organisation. Uh, unfortunately, United uh, is a little less than mediocre at the moment and that kind of showed on the pitch, didn't it? I, I mean, it's really hard to pick out anyone who who really, you know, shone there. Um, uh, Wilson, when he came on, was lively for the last half an hour or so. Uh, Yanazai did OK when he, he played in central midfield when he came on quite early on in the game for Kigawa there. Uh, not not a position he's used to, but, you know, he's... He uh, he moved with the ball in the in the way that he does, and added some impetus to United when United actually had the ball. Andreas Pereira was was okay, you know he's he's lovely on the ball, isn't he, Pereira? And I think he can he's got a future ahead of him. I don't know whether it will be at United or not. And Sadianko did okay for the first half, didn't he? He played and he, he was all right, yeah, bombing up and down the right there. So you know, no massive criticism of of the kids. No real stars either. I thought actually Kagawa coming off and Yanazai coming on caused a lot of problems for United actually and I think that was the sort of turning point in the momentum of the game because it looked like it was going to be comfortable for United for those first 10 minutes and actually I'm definitely concerned about Yanazai. I think he's a little bit behind with fitness uh, which makes sense given pre-season so it's definitely too early to jump to conclusions which I'm certainly not doing but he just doesn't look ready to me and and it seems to be manifesting in his quality of possession like his passing's not as assured as it was almost every through ball he tried was a complete disaster in that game I, I thought he was uh, and uh, you know he's a very young player so singling him out for criticism is is just analysis there's nothing you know nothing deeper than that but I think he actually had a, a genuinely pretty terrible game Yanazai 
Kagawa's off though, isn't he? Seems so, which which might give uh, Yanazai more opportunities. I mean, it, it, it's uh, it's been something that a lot of people have been saying. Where does Yanazai fit into this side? I think it. Left or right wing back is is not the right one. It's going to be limiting for him, and he probably won't do the defensive job very well. Uh, so therefore, number ten is the obvious one, or he could play up front, or he could play in central midfield. It feels like Van Hal's testing him out. But you're right; he's not fit yet. He had the same extended break that Robin van Persie had. So why would we expect him to be on the same wavelength? He's had three substitute appearances so far, right? So let's um, let's not expect him to be fully up to speed. But after that. It's a, it's a season where he should be able to make a breakthrough and should be able to force his way into the side. And I think the kind of dynamic, pacey style that he's got means that potentially Juan Mata is, is under threat. Potentially. Also, it also depends on how long Van Hal sticks with the three at the back. You know, if, if he, he gets a blint in, which seems like it's going to happen, and maybe one other midfielder, he might feel confident enough to move to three up front and then one of the front front three would feel very natural for him indeed I'd think. Yes absolutely because I'm not at all convinced that Yanazai's natural position is number 10. I, I don't understand why that's the sort of default reasoning because all his best performances for United have come on the wing and he looks just he just looks an excellent winger to me but you know anyway that that that's what time will tell on that one, won't it? So, so, so I'm not sure he's a winger in the the classical stand on the touchline uh, and put a cross in. I mean, he's certainly got the skills there, but then you'd be sticking him on the left wing, basically. I think he's a he's a kind of dynamic, flexible utility forward, and that's why people think about him as a number ten. I'm not sure he's the kind of player who's going to dictate the tempo of a game. He's more James Rodriguez at number ten than Zinedine Zidane. I'll just pick out a couple of a couple of very high class players there just to compare him to. But do you know what I mean? He's uh, I don't think he puts a foot his foot on the ball and dictates whether the, the side is going to play fast or slow. He he's going, he's a wall one paced, isn't he? Which is always fast. Uh, and uh, you know, and he could be very dangerous coming from a deeper position. But uh, in the way that that say Wayne Rooney was when he was 18 too. Yeah, wide left in a 4-3-3, that starts to sound beautiful, doesn't it? Yanazai wide left, Di Maria wide right, or the other way around, you know, it's all very exciting. I guess one of them's playing out of position either way, but uh, Yanazai looked fine on the right wing last season too. Talking of wingers, let's come on to the Burnley game, shall we? Manchester United's wing-backs, Ashley Young and Antonio Valencia, between them managed one cross that found a Manchester United player, although that was Juan Mata desperately scrambling uh, at the far end of the box from where the cross was put in to to kind of catch a slightly looping header that didn't go anywhere. So essentially they managed not a single successful Mm. cross between them. And actually I think that was an enormous part of United's problem against Mm. Burnley. Well, by the end of the game, and this is the end of the game in which United were better than at the beginning of the game, uh, almost every single ball was going wide right wasn't it the the uh, the biggest pass biggest two pass combinations were Evans to Valencia and Valencia to Evans right so the, a lot of United's play down the right and and unfortunately of Valencia's 12 crosses none found the man as you said but six found the shins of the the first man blocking the cross and another six went looping out of play on the far side uh, it was it was awful right and and it's not as if he was even that dynamic so uh, and beating a man getting to the cross line and and pulling crosses back that that might be more dangerous a lot of them were coming in from deep areas or just kind of hopeful balls and it's it's symptomatic of what Valencia has become over the last what three years now amazing that he got a new contract really given the standard of his performances over that time yeah absolutely he looks 
he just looks like a shadow of himself, but he has for ages. And that game was really problematic, but he was far from United's only problematic performer. Ashley Young, the uh, pre-season bump is all gone, isn't it? That, that was that was vintage Ashley Young. Not any contribution to the attack, barely at all. Well, his best contribution was to, to put in a ball, or what was it, a shot that uh, the Burnley player basically caught, bounced around and slam dunked, and then the referee still didn't give it as a penalty. Um, do you think that should have been a penalty then? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I think he's, he's uh, I mean, I, I think uh, the, the directive is, and it's one of those ones that uh, everyone always seems to get wrong, but the directive is if your arm is in a natural position, right? So he's he's turning and putting his arms up. So uh, it's got to be, uh, it's got to be a penalty. Although uh, I did hear one person arguing that if it comes off the body first, it doesn't count. I'm not sure about that. Ashley Young had a pretty good shout for a penalty where he didn't dive. He actually fell over because he was shoved off the ball in the first half, but Listen, Ash, stay on your feet, kid. You're never getting another penalty. You've just well, got to right. accept it. Yeah, he'd, as one person said to me uh, after the game, he'd have to be shot to, to get a penalty. And, and in fact, shooting would be a good option for him. Harsh. But fair, some people might add. No, no, nobody in their right mind would add, in my opinion. <laughs> you you can't shoot people for not being good enough for Manchester United, Ed. We'd all be shot. Well, political correctness gone mad, this is. <laughs> Um, so uh, if political correctness had really gone mad you wouldn't be able to argue that Robin Van Persie and Wayne Rooney are too slow to play in a front two actually I don't think that's even really the main problem but in the first half those two were quite literally standing in each other's zones if you watched it every time one of them got the ball the other one was right on top of them and I I think there was a specific instruction about that at half time because in the second half they were on the opposite sort of ends of the box, really. And it looked like Van Gaal had said, for goodness sake, like, don't stand so close to each other. Well, one of them, and, and it's Rooney, needs to play in the channels a little bit more. And uh, unfortunately, Rooney's... Uh, I think I think Rooney's the bigger problem. And Van Persie's quite clearly not fit. Quite clearly. And, and uh, a lot of talk about a potential knee injury that might need surgery too, which would be a pretty big blow for United and, and for the player. But... I think I think Rooney's the problem here. He's he's either dropping deep and getting in Matter's zone. Look at the number of touches Matter had through the game; very few indeed. Or he's not drifting into wide positions, which he, is what he should do to drag one of the defenders out of position. And uh, I, I think every time I criticise Rooney, I get a bunch of hate mail. But I don't care. That was a stinker of a performance from him, and he's causing tactical problems as well. Yeah, ten years today, as we record this, since Wayne Rooney joined Manchester United, and he celebrated it with one of his worst ever performances for the club. No shots on target, no chances created. Sixty-four percent pass completion. Sixty-four percent. Let that sink in for a second. I know some people really hate that statistic. But if you ever needed proof that sometimes statistics can sum up a performance, that 33% take on completion, no pass, no shots on target, no successful chances created and 64% pass completion. That is a a damning statistical analysis of Rooney's performance. No, no, very, very true. Are they... uh... To be fair and balanced, uh, which people accuse us of not being when it comes to Rooney, uh, Robin Van Persie's uh, pass completion rate was at 71%, so not a lot better. A lot of criticism also of Juan Mata, he just didn't feel very dynamic through the game. I mean, he didn't get the ball a lot, uh, 48 touches in total, which is not very many for your team's principal creator if you look at how many touches uh, for example Tony Cruz might get on an average game it's it's well over 100 normally the same with Xavi and 
and most of the players uh, you'd think about playing through and and he's just not getting the ball enough and part of that might be that uh, those those three are getting in each other's way. Uh, part of it is there's just not enough movement, including from Mata. Uh, very, very accurate with the ball, but an awful lot of it going sideways from Mata. And again, that's a symptom of, I think, not enough movement from the front two. And I think it's also a symptom of not enough quality in the wings because this is this was the same against Sunderland as it was against Burnley, where the opposition are sitting incredibly deep. It's because they know that everything good about United comes through the middle. Because basically, United can just keep knocking it to the wings almost without fear of, you know... One cross against Sunderland got a massive deflection, so Matter got on the end of it. You know, that is the extent of United's successful use of the ball wide. And when we switch to a 4 3 3 with Di Maria on one flank and Yanazai on the other, it's going to be a whole different ball game because teams will have to be much more concerned mm. about the ball going out wide. Well, well, yes, um, but there are changes that United can make in a, in a 3 4 1 2 system in order to not be doubled up on all the time so so the problem is in attacking situations that the defending side such as Burnley can can you know will have a a left winger and a left fullback to cover one player and, and United don't get the overload and and therefore it's always coming back inside and in defensive situations the left to right or right to left ball can cause a lot of problems right so what needs to happen is when United are attacking down one side the left or the right sided of the three at the back, needs to go with uh, their wing back. And and it was interesting, I don't know whether you spotted it, but at one point Di Maria was shouting at Tyler Blackett to move forward, right? Which is exactly what he had to do rather than going back to a central defensive position because he had to go and support his wing back. You know, maybe that, that shows just a bit of experience and nous from Di Maria, who's, I'm sure, played in a lot of different systems over his career. Uh, and also, you know, perhaps some leadership qualities too. Yes, yeah, so let's talk about Di Maria, because if there was a bright spot for Manchester United in that game, it was the 10 minutes uh, in the first half where Di Maria absolutely ran the show. He's not played since the World Cup. And his preseason's obviously been pretty disturbed and surrounded by rumour and all that kind of stuff. It's got to be, you know, got to have some effect. And it was no particular surprise to see him coming off with cramp after 70 minutes. But for that little 10 minute spell in the first half, we saw the sign of things to come. And he looked by miles Manchester United's best player already. Well, that's the question, isn't it? Just how how much ahead of the rest of them is he? I mean, look, he's obviously a top class player. Uh, when he gets the ball, it's it's very high quality. His movement's great. He, I think he was just trying to work out where where he should be in relation to the rest of the players. I mean, I, I mentioned Di Maria was having a go at Blackett at one point. Uh, Phil Jones also had a go at Di Maria for coming too deep, um, which wasn't a surprise given the massive gap between the lines of the three central defenders and the four in midfield. Um, someone had to come and get the ball and, and Fletcher wasn't doing it. So his movement, his pace, his penetration is all great. Uh, I guess the one criticism, uh, like much of the rest of the side, he was trying to hit the ball too early. So a lot of a lot of balls going into the front man. One beautiful one to Robin Van Persie. Uh, you can see that happening a few times over the course of the season. He's going to be a very, very good player for United, I think. He just needs a base around him because he, he didn't really have that against Burnley. He created a lovely chance for Juan Mata as well, which uh, Mata wasn't able to take. And I thought Mata's confidence looked low, which makes sense with what you were saying about how few touches he got. And also, of course, he pulled up with a hamstring injury. And I don't know enough about sports science to know whether that was coming on during the course of the game or if that is just something that just suddenly happens. But if he, if there was some sort of niggle or something, that might explain why, uh, why it was... Um, oh, I say it's a hamstring injury, just 
just because that's what it looked like you know it might, it might not be no no it, it seemed like it I thought it was some really interesting sort of tactical dynamics from United I mean and as the game wore on matter dropped deeper and deeper and and uh, it wasn't really to get the ball I think they just needed to do that because they needed to get someone a bit closer to Darren Fletcher Darren Fletcher I think he's struggling physically clearly he's you know he's on his knees and puffing and jogging when he needed to be running in defensive situations uh, you know I just I just I don't think he can hack it this many games. We all love him, but I'm, I'm afraid two years out of the game has taken its toll. So, so Matter dropped deeper at one stage, so basically to make a sort of five across midfield rather than the four and the one, and they needed it because they weren't getting anyone close enough to the back three and therefore all the balls were going long, right? But I don't think that suits Matter either. He's someone who wants the space and the time of playing number 10 in between those the two defensive lines. Uh, and and uh, I, I wouldn't say Matter could play at eight. I can think he's you know he's he's a he's a player can really only perform best at ten. Uh, and and it's a problem for United because when you have two players in front of him that that aren't moving and aren't fit or aren't playing very well or haven't been playing for well well for quite some time or don't play together very well and Matter and there's no pace in that. It's it's all a bit predictable. And then when you do get the ball out to good positions out wide, which is the thing you can then do, all everything that comes in is of terribly low quality. So it's like absolutely he is trapped in a in a, a vortex of things that are bad for Juan Mata. So look, they better to come, right? So Rojo was will slot into the 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 left side of the back three is a, is a position he's he's going to be very comfortable with I think uh, and and a bit more experienced than Blackett uh, looks like Daly Blint will come in I think sitting him in front of the the back three in a sort of defensive midfield position is the better one for him than on the left side left side of the wing back where he's just his pace seems to restrict him or lack of pace seems to restrict him Herrera's coming back and he's much more controlled in possession than Fletcher and Di Maria can add some dynamism you know and, th- and then the question really becomes who of the Rooney Van Persie matter sort of triumvirate do you drop because if you drop matter you you probably lose some control but he's going to be loath to drop Van Persie or Rooney it seems so I think there's a big decision coming up and none of that fixes the problems that we have with Ashley Young and Antonio Valencia who are two massive massive holes no but Luke Shaw and Raphael coming back massively improves that so you know there's promise there too so I mean I'm assuming Luke Shaw's an upgrade at left wing back his delivery was excellent for Southampton last season and of course defensively he'll be much better Raphael you know, no problem with his attacking contributions and his defensive abilities are good. I think there'll be a problem with his footballing intelligence when it comes to playing wing back. I think that that's going to be asking a lot of him. But you know, he he could crack it. And the the, the other thing about like the 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 better ahead is Van Hal said all along takes me ages to get it get it together at a club. He presents his players with vast quantities of information in the early stages and it takes them a long time to assimilate it. And at United so far, I would say that Phil Jones is ahead of the curve with assimilating it. I think he's adapted to the back three just absolutely wonderfully and and he really he's really playing the role in the back three as well as, you know, saving United so far two points, you know, by making those kind of classic Phil Jones last ditch interventions. Another fine game from him. Di Maria, 
it's interesting because, you know, we have signed three central midfielders in this window, right? Because Blint is really a central midfielder. Herrera is definitely a central midfielder. And then Di Maria is an excellent winger, but he's also very good in midfield, isn't he? There's no problem playing him. That's not a square peg in a round hole by any means, is it? It's interesting, the dynamic, if you play him in a classic two in there. I'm not, I'm not sure that would suit him. But um, yeah, certainly you can play in central midfield. Of course, you know, the counter to that argument is that Herrera might like to play at number 10. Di Maria like, might like to play left side of a front three and Daly Blint is a, is a left-sided defender, really. You know, That's another way of looking at it. So we still haven't signed a central midfielder. No, that's not true, though, is it? That's like It is another way of looking at it, but it's not an accurate one because Daly Blint is definitely not a left-back. You know, he's he, he, he played all season in centre mid for Ajax last season, didn't he? No, and I think he'll do all right there. The, the only thing that makes him a £14 million player rather than a £24 million player player is his lack of pace you know his his range of passing is excellent his defensive instincts are, are all right although I wouldn't say he's a he, he's not a you know up and atom Roy Keane type of tackler he's he's more a coverer he's a he's a Michael Carrick with the left foot lovely range of passing though uh, both short and long I think he'll uh, as we saw with that wonder goal at the World Cup uh, he can hit a 60 yard Hollywood ball no problem at all so I think he'll be a very good ad- addition to the United squad you know he's not that kind of world class star but you need a good balance in the squad and it's going to help iron out some of the imbalances I think having a player that can play in multiple positions yeah absolutely um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else worth covering uh, uh, about the Burnley game I mean ultimately I left that game pretty pleased that United didn't lose um, which is obviously ridiculous uh, at Burnley but I was expecting us to lose oh yeah there's one thing I, I want to say about that game so much kind of when when he brought on Anderson for Di Maria there was so much kind of oh what if Moyes had done that and I was sat there thinking I'm pretty sure if David Moyes had taken off a new signing who hadn't had a full pre-season who had cramp and brought him brought on the only single player on the bench that could play that position I would have said that that was perfectly reasonable no one wants to see Anderson in the Man United first team apart from maybe Anderson and even that I'm not totally sure about but the, the you know the idea that that was a, a kind of calamitous clown-like substitution is, is just Nonsense. It's nonsense. Of course, there were options. I mean, I suppose the the defensive-minded one, or or the one that would solve that kind of tactical problem of the gap between the lines would have been to push Jones into midfield and bring Keane on. That would have had a a couple of effects. Not not all of them are good. You know, Keane's not had a great sort of beginning to the season. I I don't really like Jones in midfield, but he can certainly do it. Uh, And then um, the other option would have been to bring Yanazai on, which would have been a more progressive choice, but of course, you know, dangerous defensively. So, you know, he went for a a middle path there. Can't say Anderson did anything to keep him at the club. Um, You know, maybe it was the shop window, as everyone likes to say, kebab shop window for uh, Anderson, of course. I mean, yeah, Anderson hasn't done anything to keep himself at the club since 2008, though, has he? No, that's right. No, that's really unfair. There's been a few since then, but uh, they've been few and far between. Schalke in 2011, right? This is the one you're referring to. No, 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 not just that one, because Schalke were so bad. But no, the the early part of the 2011 season, the Anderson cleverly fraud. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like a... conspiracy book that is you know yeah. yeah exactly yeah um yeah well they pulled this crazy long con on us by being really good for five <laughs> so, i mean um, that's right they both got new contracts after that of course so anyway i think that's about it for the uh for the for the burnley game um we've we've kind of talked about transfers a little bit you know Di maria signed rojo 
uh, signed sort of but still without a work permit we had a chat before the game in which he said it was uh, about this criminal case in Argentina and I was like no way he's not even been charged but it appears to be about this criminal case in Argentina which is interesting because he's not even been judged but uh, we'll see it seems that uh, Van Hal is, is uh, not too worried about it they'll sort it by the end of the uh, international break so he'll be in and then Daily Blint a bid's accepted got to do the medical and which I'm sure United uh, medical staff are going to enjoy examining his body thoroughly as as the uh, the female amongst our support seem to be doing at the moment you know I don't know what the fuss is about really Daily Blint is a handsome young gentleman there is no two ways about it yeah he's got a girlfriend so you know hands off (laughs) assuming that they they are not overly distracted by his uh, piercing eyes and his abs they'll be able to pass him fit because they passed Owen Hargreaves fit no one's ever going to fail a medical at Manchester United oh no we've got all this magical new equipment from one of our sponsors right you know so sci-fi stuff in which Dr Nick can press a button and he goes beep yep signed Yeah, um, and I'm sure personal terms will be no problem. Blint, a big step up for him and he'll be delighted to hook up with Van Gaal and uh, quotes doing the rounds. They were trying to get him to go to Inter, but he was only interested in Manchester United. So that's always nice when they say that, isn't it? Uh, They always do say that. So so did Di Maria after he'd effectively signed terms with uh, PSG earlier this summer. (laughs) Uh, Di Maria also, he wrote this open letter to the fans saying like, oh, I didn't want to leave Real Madrid. And it was picked up in the... the (laughs) English newspapers with this kind of anti-United relish, like that somehow he was saying, "Oh God, I've ended up at United. I didn't want to do that." But you know, he was—it was a perfectly reasonable thing that he did. Uh, of course, he didn't want to leave Real Madrid. Why would you? You know. Yes, well, yeah, uh, and he wouldn't have done if it wasn't for Florentino Perez's obsession with sh- signing the next shiny thing. You know, in this case, uh, James Rodriguez. I don't—I yeah. don't think Ancelotti wanted to lose him at all. I mean, uh, seventeen assists in La Liga man of the match in the Champions League final he was an integral part of that side let's uh, let's not forget that but that's that's the past he's now United's Angel Di Maria and Daley Blint and, and then I assume that Woodward is frantically trying to sign a another central defender an experienced one really is needed and uh, potentially another central midfielder too I mean no one would kick Arturo Vidal out of bed for example it doesn't look like that one's going to happen they might be not kicking him out of bed because if he lands on his knees then that, he could be in trouble I mean it, it, it does seem like the knees is the big thing right I don't know whether that's just reading too much Vidal coverage and ending up reading between the lines and actually he doesn't want to come uh, but it, it has felt also Summer, like it just needs Man United to go and lay a massive wadge of cash on the table and it's all going to get done. But for some reason, you know, I don't want to do that. And it can only be his knees because, my goodness, like that team is just crying out for a player like that. Assuming we don't get Vidal, any chance of another midfielder? Because I know everyone says we need an, an experienced central defender and I, I assume I'm wrong. But it feels to me like a, a, a more box-to-box midfielder is actually still more important than another central defender. Hey, why only have one when you can have two, you know? When the uh, the Glazer family are finally allowed United to spend some money, let's let's take it all. Spend, spend! But of course, look, it's, not just, it's not, not just the incomings that are important in terms of shaping the squad. I think the outgoings are, are almost equally as important. Uh, United have uh, increased the wage budget significantly by bringing all these players in. Of course, you know, Ferdinand, Vidic and Evera and Giggs all going off the wage budget too will have helped somewhat. But um, but wage cost control is important and, and that's why they'll want to get some players off the books. Whether they can or not is interesting. I mean, they might 
they might sell cleverly. It looks like that's going to happen. He's not one of the biggest earners. They'd absolutely love to get rid of Anderson. That might be difficult. They might have to loan him somewhere and uh, that might include a payoff of some kind. He's only got a year left on his contract, so it wouldn't be too much. I'm sure they'd take a bid for Young if they could. I don't think that's going to happen. And Fellaini, they'd, they'd sell in a heartbeat, but he's unfortunately injured. See, the only way he can spoil it again, apart from being a big oaf, is by getting bloody injured just before the transfer window closes. Yeah, players who are going to leave. Shinji Kagawa, who presumably is on pretty big wages. It looks like he's going back to Dortmund. Not on the bench, was he, against Burnley? I think that makes it fairly definitive. Oh, no, he had concussion, didn't he? So you could you could argue that it was that. But apparently that Dortmund thing is going to happen. Uh, and Cleverly not on the bench and not injured, that one speaks volumes, right? Because you would have had Tom Cleverly on the bench ahead of Anderson even yes that. yes yeah no I think I think that that one's uh that one's done right so they he's it's just cleverly working out where he's going to go he's got he's got a few options Hull and Villa and and uh Everton I think was the other one that's his options Shinji going back to Dortmund is an interesting one because you know Marco Royce was uh, absolutely outstanding in the few games he played at sort of the number 10 role at the end of last season a very very similar player kind of dynamic player in that position uh not necessarily one who's going to dictate play but he's going to get the ball and run and make things happen and and it could well be that Shinji ends up playing out of position at Dortmund if he goes back there which is is not going to suit him very well only for a season though because Royce will be off next summer when his release clause clicks in that's right and United will be linked with him for many many months and then he'll sign for Bayern (laughs) yes no no question about it although you know the Dimaria thing does change the dynamic slightly because it's like you know United were linked with him all summer and then he went to Paris oh no wait a minute he's come here Unbelievable. Didn't see that coming. The other outgoings that are really significant potentially are one or both of Hernandez and Welbeck. And it has got to the point where it's looking like they both might be off. But that seems mental. Mm. Well, it'd leave United in a very precarious position with with Kagawa going as well. He'd be another man who could play in a sort of forward position. So if they both go, United have Robin van Percy, who's not exactly fit at the moment or last season uh, or throughout his career. Uh, and uh, Wayne Rooney, who always gets an injury for a you know, sort of six-week spell or so, every single season. So he's guaranteed. And he's playing like an absolute stinker at the moment. So it would be very, very risky to rely on James Wilson as, as your third-choice striker. I, maybe it would come off because, you know, he's, a, he's an exceptionally talented young man and he's got pace to burn. And he really could make that step up very quickly. It's a massive risk, though, because, you know, not all players are able to do that. And then then I suppose the other options are that you could play sort of Di Maria in the inside forward position. I don't think it's his best, in all honesty. A lot of people talked about the Robin role for him, but I think he has other qualities. I'm, I'm not sure that's the one that, that would suit him the most. And, of course, Yanazai could play there, too. They very much could play there, and, and he played a lot of his sort of reserve football at, at number nine role, effectively. And uh, Will Keane is still at the club as well. I don't know what that means uh, in terms of that level of performance, because you'd think he'd be off. He was definitely on the infamous Daily Telegraph or Mail or whatever it was list of players who are leaving, although that list looks like it was absolutely bogus now, because it's not matched the outcomes at all. Uh, yeah, well, I'm not sure whose agent spoke there, but um, looking down the list of agents... Oh, yes, it was Danny Welbeck. Um, well, except it, that that was when Welbeck was going to be able to stay. So, I don't know, they're all very mysterious. Danny Welbeck... Is he going to go? Is this going to happen? Am I going to have to deal with the emotional after effects of that? I would actually be fine, incidentally, because 
I think the best thing that could possibly happen to his career is that either Van Gaal works out very quickly that he can't play Rooney and Van Persie together or Welbeck goes off and becomes the star man somewhere. Yeah, but if you're going to sell him, you're going to sell him for a lot of money, right? So he's English, he's young. Uh, he's a forward who does score goals if he gets a chance uh, in the forward positions. He's he's not of the very, very highest class. I think, you know, we accept that. But he also has local hero hero status at United. Uh, so he has to go for a lot of money. You know, this is not one that United should be flogging for 10 or 12 million. It, it's got to be sort of nearer 20, I think, given the current market. Given, you know, United spent 16 on Rojo, a, a defender, uh, and 14 or 15 on Daly Blint, a defensive midfielder, and... And uh, so, you know, in the £20 million bracket, it seems perfectly reasonable for Welbeck. We'll see if anyone actually wants to pay that. Some talk about Tottenham trying to get him on loan, which would be redonkulous, wouldn't it? To, to send Welbeck away on loan and leave United threadbare up front. Yeah, uh, Hernandez, a uh, story doing around today that Real Madrid uh, are in front. Yeah, no. But, yeah, uh, that's... <laughs> they, they were three years ago, right? You know, there was a... It was it was known by everybody that uh, there was a bid on the table and United could take it when they felt like it. But no, I think at this stage, there's no point in going to Madrid or, or perhaps even Juventus, you know. And I wonder whether some of that talk was uh, around uh, trying to make the Vidal deal happen in a less cash-heavy way for United. And, and Valencia would be the sensible one for him because he will start. Yeah, absolutely. Valencia in for Tom Cleverley as well, uh, which was which yeah. was fun. No, not going to happen. Not going right. to happen. Are you sure? No, I mean, your Cleverley's got a young family and he doesn't strike me as uh, as the type that'd be heading abroad uh, quite so quickly in his career or or if ever I mean I know he's talked about watching La Liga but I'd be really surprised I, I, don't, I don't I think that'd be such a good move for him because then you know everyone could stop saying oh if he was in Spain everyone would appreciate him <laughs> like did anyone ever say yeah, that they did it's the Tom Cleverley <laughs> might have said that Tom Cleverley's PR machine yes uh, the 23 shirts empty Arturo or nearly anyway so yeah we're going to have another transfer window where Anderson is still a Man United player which is pretty remarkable uh, so we've talked a lot about outgoings I really do want to talk about incomings because we are now we're recording this on Sunday morning so there's what less than 48 hours until the transfer window slams shut and United it's all quiet on the on the rumours front. There's nothing definitively kind of, you know, no one's on their way for a medical as we speak at half ten uh, on Sunday. So so who's it going to be? Who's the frantic activity going to be around tomorrow? Messi. No. It, it will be Messi, is, is what I'm saying. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I think it's, uh, as you said, exactly. So... For weeks, Vidal has has uh, known that United are uh, interested and been interested in moving. He's said all the right things. They're interpreted in interesting fashions by the press, of course. So it's really up to United to put the cash on the table. They, I think you're right in saying, are looking for a structured deal that would take into account the state of his fitness. You know, So if there is, if United is taking on any risk there, and it's not, I don't think anyone's saying that his knee is definitely screwed, right? So um, he had a minor operation to remove some of the sort of frayed part of the uh, meniscus, lateral meniscus material inside his knee. It's keyhole surgery, but he played too soon on it. So I think that's what people are worried about. So they're looking for a structured deal, which will mean that they pay a lot of the fee based on the number of performances, which makes a lot of sense. And, and Juventus want a big pile of cash up front so they can use it to strengthen two, right? So that one might not happen because there's an, an impasse there. Elsewhere, I, I don't think United have anyone 
of high quality lined up, it looks like De Jong is the fullback, and that may well happen. You know, he's available. Uh, he's not very good, but uh, he would add another body in midfield. The William Carvalho story raised its head again, and then the club started briefing. It did really look like the club were briefing one day that Vidal and Carvalho were on the agenda, and briefing the next day that they weren't, which was mm. slightly peculiar. But the club's briefing's been peculiar all summer. Mm, yes, well, yes. Woodward likes to talk, and when he, he shouldn't really, and then he decides he probably shouldn't talk. Uh, when we'd all like to have some more information. So Carvalho is a Mendes client. You know, Mendes is going to make an absolute fortune over the next 48 hours or so. So now we're friends with him again. I suppose that might happen. You know, I'd, until Di Maria, United hadn't actually done a proper deal with Mendes. He wasn't De Gea's agent when De Gea arrived. He was for a time after that. He's no longer De Gea's agent, incidentally. So after the Bebe Gate fiasco, United didn't speak to Mendes for a while. It was like a couple of kids had fallen out. Now uh, United are interested again and and, uh, the thing that Mendes is most interested in is fat wads of mega cash and United are throwing that around at the moment. So, you know, he might be able to get a deal done for United there. Uh, Sporting are are definitely happy to sell, right? You know, they are a selling club and and they'll sell to whoever pays the most money. Has Mendes got any, like, really high-level central defenders as clients, by the way? Well, uh, yes, he does, although I don't think any of them will be heading to United this summer. Uh, He has a a roster of clients, which is like a who's who of world stars. Uh, The most high-profile defender would be Thiago Silva. I don't think he'll be leaving Paris Saint-Germain this summer. Uh, Eloquim Mangala, who Manchester City moved for much earlier in the transfer window and signed that, signed him up. So he won't be moving. Gary, who um, who went to uh, somewhere in Moscow, didn't he? In the end, if I remember, Pepe is not leaving Real Madrid and... Uh, God help us if he ever ends up at Manchester United. Uh, Bruno Alves is well, well past his best. So um, I think the answer to that one is no. Interesting. We do need a defender for somewhere. Of course, Hummels is not going to happen in 24... It's not going to go from silent to Hummels in 24 hours, is it? Um, I can't see that happening. In terms of midfielders, Dion, Carvalho, Vidal, wouldn't be surprised if one of them comes. Hope it's the most exciting, flashiest, splashiest one, to be honest. What a shame that Javi Martinez got injured for Bayern Munich and they swooped in for Benassia because I reckon that might have happened and that would have been ridiculously exciting. Well, it would have been. But look, by the end of this window, uh, and, and assuming, you know, I think we'll get another player over the weekend uh, by the end of Monday, probably. Uh, and he signed five players anyway and, and it spent a ton of money. It looks like we we're spending more than 150 million that I said absolutely never would not happen. 144.7 right now. So if Woody fails to get his man, I was dead right again. Um, uh, but, but you know, it's a ton of money. Um, so in, in that respect, you go, it's a successful window for Woodward because they moved out some of the Deadwood, moved on some of the older players. They've begun the process of transforming the squad, which needed to happen in a, in a more robust way than uh, was done under Moyes. So in that respect, it's successful. In the respect of actually having a strategy and planned out which which formation you're going to play, which positions you need to strengthen in, and your list of one, two, three, four in each position, and get the negotiations done early and quietly and cleanly, um, then it's failed, right? It feels so scattergun, so opportunistic. It doesn't feel like there's a strategy there to to make it happen for United and get the best for the club and do it early, and, and we'll be desperately scrabbling around right at the end of the transfer window again with Woodward on the fax machine, faxing every... 
on his dog in Europe for players, right? You know, I think there's a bit more grey area than that. I think there's a bit more nuance than that because Herrera and Shaw were, you know, acquired early and quietly. But those were deals that are done under the previous regime. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, Rojo is clearly was clearly somewhere down a list, which the first targets and second targets or whatever didn't didn't happen. Di Maria was opportunistic, but he's really the only opportu- fully opportunistic signing that we've signed so far because Rojo was not opportunistic in the sense that it was suddenly a player who became available it was just uh, it was a backup option but you're absolutely right about the thing of not getting it all done soon enough because they were talking about wanting to have it all done by the start of the world cup and you know van hal was saying that blint and someone else will be coming in the one thing i wonder about the blint transfer is why did we leave that one so late is that because we wouldn't have signed blint if we'd got vidal or whoever mm. Seems like it. Seems like he's the man that was a. It only takes twenty four hours to sign a player. Man, Van Gaal was going on about it, but it does feel like it's a it's a second choice. Um, much like Fellaini was last season, they were they were after other players didn't happen, so they've they've moved on to the one they knew they could get. At least they didn't pay twenty seven million pounds for him this time, which helps somewhat. Okay, so basically what we're saying is we've got no idea who Manchester United are going to sign in this uh, next 48-hour period, right? I I know exactly who United are going to sign. Who's that? Nobody. (laughs) Do you really think? No, we're definitely going to bring someone else in. I was thinking about that thing about you saying we won't be spending £150 And I have to leap to your defence because you did the numbers before the Adidas deal was announced. And I think that has made a difference to United's flexibility to spend, right? Yeah, although actually very close, given the uh, even how you'll amortise the the spending last season, so Fellaini and, and Juan Mata, uh, and this season over the next sort of three or four years, um, it's it's very close to to the limit of of where United could have spent. So run it on a year, and United can spend quite a bit next summer as well, in theory, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so uh, let's do some Twitter questions, shall we? We've had so many Twitter questions. I'm really sorry that uh, we can't get to them all. At underscore Paul underscore D says, where the hell do we start? And that, that was written in the aftermath of the Burnley game. And I, I think the start has already happened. I, I saw some slight improvement over the Swansea game and the Sunderland game. And I saw some slight improvement again against Burnley. And I think if you look at Van Gaal's history, as he keeps saying himself, it takes a couple of months and then it all starts to click. I think if there, if you know, in January we're struggling against mid-table opposition and, and the cl- players aren't buying into the system and he's stuck with it and he's still playing Rooney and Van Persie up front, then maybe we can start talking. But I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I'm sure there will be some improvement. You've got to, you've got to trust that his experience as a coach and he, he knows he's got it. I don't feel, I talked about lack of transfer strategy. I don't think he's got a lack of strategy. He kind of knows what he wants and... Uh, whether he's got all the tools to do that right now, I, I'm not sure. He's talking about time. He's talked about three months. And he also said it might take more than a year. Uh, then he also said first step is to get into the Champions League. Second step is to win the Premier League. And third step is to win the Champions League itself, which is a perfectly fair and logical timeline, which he didn't give times to, although all the papers ran that as uh, Champions League 2015 and and Premier League winners 2016 and Champions League winners 2017, if only it were. 
Uh, at Greg Silent says, have you ever seen a pairing of two gifted strikers pay, play so poorly together? I know. It's like one of them farted in the lift, isn't it? And uh, it's, it just does not work. Does not work. This is Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard playing out at Manchester United. And we'll be talking about this in like 2019, won't we? Still. Do you think they'll play together this year? Gerard and Lampard have retired from international football, so the world of football needs another one of those sorts of things. Uh, some, some might argue that Rooney retired from football a couple of years ago. He's only retired from actually caring about the game. Well, the thing about Rooney is, even when he's terrible, he's still trying. You know, there's, there's, you can't accuse Rooney of not caring about the game. I think that that crosses a line to just unfair criticism because he he's never stopped working. No, no. So I think you're conflating a couple of different ideas there. So I, I think that there went a time from, you know, when he was younger and it was all about you know, the street footballer uh, where just playing mattered uh, to a time when his status and money mattered more. Right, I, I get what you're saying. So what you're saying is uh, the pure football of it leaving is the problem. So it's not that he's not making effort to maintain his place in the, the team and all that. But No, I'm not accusing him of lack of effort, although I, I think that is overplayed, to be honest. I, I don't think there was uh, there was the uh, the effort, if that's what you want to call it, against Burnley necessarily. He was pretty static as a player. I'm quite sure that a lot of his love of the game has disappeared. It, much like his first touch, I might add. Um, yeah, so at Andy27P says, if Anderson was the answer, what the heck was the question? Um, I think the answer to the, like, the ultimate jeopardy question to the answer, Anderson, is what is the most remarkable ability to stay at Manchester United in spite of all circumstances pointing to the contrary of all time? Yeah, who has stolen the most wages from any single football club in the history of the game? I mean... I think that would literally be Anderson, right? Because he is a big earner, isn't he? He is, although, you know, he hasn't sat on the beach like Winston Bogard did for three years while being paid by Chelsea, but not far off. You know, his, his actual proper contribution to United has been very, very minimal. I mean, you know, we can talk about the penalty in Moscow and it being worth it for all of that, but, you know, let's be serious for a second. Aside from that, he shinned that one down the middle. He, he's, his performances have been dross for... for seven of the eight years he's been at the club. Yeah, there's been the odd bright spark and that's always been fun- followed by injury. At Harsh Vedant, last question of the week, says, how'd you get by the whole weekend after United plays like Tripe? And I have to say, it's not something I find particularly difficult to do because at the end of the football match is life. Oh, God, perf. Perf, you're going to get into this, you know, it's only a game nonsense again. <laughs> I, I tell you what, it's harder this year because United won't have a midweek game until about spring at this rate. You know, out of the, no European football, <laughs> out of the Capital One Cup. And then, uh, you know, when, when we play Bournemouth in the third round, the FA Cup will be out of that too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, but, you know, I, I was also going to say, like, one of the things that really helps is doing this. Because you get all the United out of your system at this point, and by the end of it, we've predicted a win for the next game, so it's all rosy again. And this weekend, we've got shiny transfer window excitement to uh, mask the actual football. Yes, no, no actual game this weekend, so QPR the weekend afterwards. But there is uh, the international break, of course, and a whole bunch of a bunch of completely meaningless, pointless games being played after the World Cups. So England play Norway and. Well, Beck and Rooney are in that squad and uh, I guess Jones as well. And that that's it for the United contingent. Yeah, it's pretty small, isn't it? That's uh, Biggie Smallings not around. Uh, Tom Cleverley 
probably not a United player, certainly not an England player at the moment. Uh, Michael Carrick's still injured, so yeah, not not a lot of options uh, from United's ranked masses for England. Uh, Shinji will be playing, but he won't be a United player by then. Who else is Who else is in international? Argentina are playing Germany in Germany, so uh, we just have to hope that Bayern Munich don't somehow manage to poach Angel de Maria. Who else is is on international duty then, Ed? Uh, not not a lot. Let's see. Let's look down the list of uh, high quality friendlies we've got coming up this week. We've got Slovakia versus Malta. Great stuff. Great stuff. No, no United contingent in this one we have belgium versus australia so i guess uh Yanazai will be part of that squad although uh, presumably not fellaini since he has his ankle injury at the moment france and spain david de gea has been called up to the spanish squad so maybe he'll get a game that will be uh we get cost no potty paddy in the united uh, contingent anymore i know <laughs> chile and mexico though hernandez may not be a united player uh, by that time but vidal might be uh, but vidal might be yeah you never know uh, it seems unlikely uh france then go and play serbia uh, no contingent there either because of course nemanja uh, is no longer with us yeah and retired some time ago anyway so not an awful lot of united players off playing international football this week, uh, which isn't bad. It gives Van Hal a couple of weeks to to work on uh, everything he needs to work on in the training ground. Yeah, and more importantly, I think even than that, it gives us time to get players back from injuries because you know the whole of United's early season crisis is taking place in the shadow of this ridiculous injury list, and they'll be they'll be back and raring to go by the time we play QPR. At least a number of them will be. Uh, so the rank cast schedule is going to be a bit weird the next couple of weeks. We're not taking an international break, but really we are. We're just delaying it till there isn't an actual international break because we're having the week off after that due to uh, some travel commitments on Ed's part and the fact that I'm not going to be back from Manchester until really late on that Sunday night. But we will do a show next week to look back at the, the end bit of the transfer window and assess what that means for the season ahead. Could be a very short show, of course, if, if there's no transfer activity. Uh, there will be some players going in and uh, probably a player coming and we can talk, we can assess where we are from there next week. Um well, there you go. So a defeat in the Capital One Cup and a, a draw in the Premier League. It's not been the most auspicious of starts for Louis van Gaal, has it? But a break now for a couple of weeks. All those injured players should be back. After that, it's going to look like a very different squad. Rojo will have joined and finally will be out of uh, visa purgatory, we think. Angel Di Maria will have another couple of weeks with the squad to bed in. And, and it should look a lot rosier when United play... Uh, QPR and then Leicester in the in the games following the international break. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want to get hold of us between now and the show next week, you can get me at UTD Rantcast on Twitter or you can get Ed at United Rant. You can get us both at facebook.com slash United Rant and the show page at unitedrant.co.uk where you're welcome to share your opinions of the show, bad or good. But if you say stuff that is upsetting, I might reply. That's all I'm saying. Oh, um, you wouldn't want that. <laughs> uh, thank you very much to uh, everyone uh, who has donated. We received a particularly generous donation, which is very much appreciated indeed. If you want to uh, contribute to the sort of freeware model of this show, then unitedrant.co.uk slash donate for that. We haven't set up a... I will be particularly enjoying that one. Mo money, mo bitches. <laughs> uh, we haven't... Going to get my Cadillac out and uh, the low rider and... Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, we haven't set up a Kickstarter or a Patreon page yet because we're just not that cool. And yeah, if you could leave us a review on... What would we be kickstarting exactly? You know, the podcast. People do that. Say, right, we'll do a season of the podcast, chip in a fiver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Massive thanks to producer Tom, who, without whom the Rankcast quite simply would not exist anymore, because it would have killed one of us uh, by now. So, yeah, that's uh, awesome. And and if you want any sound engineering work done, look up Tej Sound. That's T double E J. So yeah, huge thanks to Tom. Very good. And uh, I guess that's it, Ed. No predictions this week. Uh, let's do one prediction. Let's predict the result in Germany against Argentina, since that's the match we probably got most interest in. I think Germany are going to win 2-0. Okay, nice. Is that the closest to a World Cup final two teams have ever played each other in a friendly? But it is. I know, it's, it's kind of bizarre, isn't it? So, So thank you very much for listening and we'll be back the same time next week.